old school in the sense that we're going back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, but old school also in the sense that the image upon which your eyes are gazing with um, astonishment and amazing thankfulness is uh, this image uh, from, I believe, 1978 of Treebeard from uh, the, ni- the 1978 depiction of the Lord of the Rings. I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce the last name of the guy that uh, depicted uh, this, uh, this rendition of the Lord of the Rings, but you can look it up. Um, hopefully not now. Put, put away your cell phones if you're trying to Wikipedia this. But uh, just trust me, that is Treebeard, the, uh, the, the, the king of the ants from the Lord of the Rings. If you've not read the books, I'm trying to finish up the, uh, the last one right now. I want to encourage you to, to read them. If you haven't seen the, the new movies... Uh, rendered by Peter Jackson. I want to encourage you to watch those as well. He looks like an enormous, broad carrot. That's it's what I couldn't help but think. But um, bless you. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read uh, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to hop down to the uh, same chapter, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We... um, We live in a world that is by the declaration of Scripture, but also by the reasoning of our minds, is truly miraculous. I, um, in, in coming up with the sermon's title this morning, I wrestle between two thoughts, uh, both kind of expressing the same thing. But um, what I settled on here was the miracle of nature. The other thought that I had in mind was supernatural nature. Just to kind of pivot uh, or or juxtapose those two concepts together. But in declaring that nature is a miracle, I am indeed declaring that nature is supernatural. It does not, nor can it, explain itself. The origins of the natural world are not found within the natural world. The the origins of creation is not found within creation. We we stand on the unfortunate end of Occam's razor. If you remember Occam's razor from back, I guess, during the the, uh, early days of uh, what would become the Enlightenment. William of Ockham uh, considered that if, if a thing has two possible explanations or three or four possible explanations, 
The, the smartest thing to do is simply to go with the easiest of explanations. And so if a, uh, a, a tree is planted outside our, our door out front, it's in a little pot and there's soil in there. I mean, you could come up with all sorts of outlandish ideas of how that tree got there, but the simplest route, the most direct route, is to say, okay, somebody must have planted that tree there, and they put some soil in there. What that uh, razor, unfortunately, does is it tears the world in two, so that you have now a spiritual world and you have a physical world. And unfortunately for us, we often deny the one half of this world that's been split in two, in order to affirm the one we prefer. We like living in the material world. We like our physicality. We like enjoying life. We like uh, the foods we eat. We like the songs we sing and hear. We like uh, the, the beauty of the world around us. And therefore we're contented to live in this world and to think there is nothing beyond. We're contented to live as physical beings and to think that um, at least ignore the fact that we are indeed also spiritual beings with hearts that have been created for a purpose and souls that have been given a responsibility and a destiny. The church is, um, the church nowadays is pretty, has a pretty interesting relationship toward uh, the, the world around it. And in the world around it, I'm speaking here specifically of the created world of nature, of what we in our political and, and news environments called the environment. Uh, and interestingly, any discussion of the environment is immediately caught up in political dialogue. It's, it's caught up in political debate. And I think part of the church's silence on the environment, part of the church's silence on what we say or what we think of the natural world and of creation is out of intimidation that if we step into that debate, if we step into that dialogue, we're either going to be labeled some, you know, something way out here that's degrading or we're going to be, we're going to be attacked by our own as being something that's out there. But the church should recognize that as we sung this morning, if you failed to catch the, uh, the title of that first hymn with which we began, This is My Father's World. The church can proudly declare that this is indeed our Father's world. That nature does not just spring up. It was spoken into existence. The world around us does not just happen upon us it has been given to us by someone. The scriptures affirm creation, for it exists by God's very word. If you have time this afternoon, or if you would like to make time for something beneficial uh, to you, I want to encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Um, we see a world that has been lovingly and graciously crafted by God. The scriptures tell us that, um, that Christ the Son was in the beginning and that all things had been made through Him. And apart from Him, nothing was made that had been made. But we find that we're surrounded by things that have been made. And those things have been made by God through His Son. The Bible 
has something to say about creation. And if we are to be biblical Christians, we too must recognize what the scriptures do say about creation. And so this morning, um, as we as we look to the scriptures and as we think of the fact that tomorrow is when the world celebrates um, Earth Day. You see where I'm going then? Uh, or at least where I'm coming from. As we, as we consider what the world says about Earth Day, and as I, I want us also to consider what the scriptures say about creation and about this miracle that we call nature, this supernatural phenomenon we call the world. The scripture has something to say first. Well, before we get to that, I want to uh, I want to go through uh, what 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 uh, I have in mind when I'm speaking of creation. These I'm calling the levels of creation. We'll start at the bottom because it's the most base uh, of uh, of of what we understand about the created order of things. You have those things that are non-living. God created the rocks. God created the mountains. He created the valleys. He created those things that are both living and non-living. Above the non-living, you then find those things that are living. Here, we're still talking about inanimate things. Not the animal world, but living things still nonetheless. Trees, plants, things that bear fruit, things that that grow, that find life, uh, or in which we find life. There are those living things. Then, a step beyond there, there are things that are both living and animate, but are impersonal. The animal world, the bugs and the creatures, the things that crawl, the things that swim, the things that fly. Beyond that, then, we have the personal. Here, thinking of both human and angelic persons. Notice we are animate. We've been giving movable life. We are living. We have life within us. We aren't non-living, but we do exist. Non-living things we say exist. They don't live. They simply exist. We exist. We live. We move. And scriptures declare that in Him, Christ, we live and move and have our being. And so when I speak of the world, the created order of things, I'm thinking of all of this. I'm thinking of all of the world which God has made. The scriptures do have something to, cl- to declare about this world, and they speak first of what it was. This, the scriptures tell us in Genesis that when God created all things, after creating each and everything, after each and every day of creation, God looked and he saw what he had made and he declared that it was good. That's something, that, that's a message that the church needs to take back up for itself. God created this world and he said it is good. It was divinely spoken into existence. In fact, the scriptures declare, us, declare to us that what it was and as it was created, it was created and intended to be man's habitat where God approaches man. Think back to the garden account in, in Genesis uh, 2 and 3. God creates this garden eastward and he names it Eden. And he put, puts the plants in there and he 
creates man and he brings man to this garden to, to work the garden. And the scriptures tell us that in the, in the temptation and fall account that God came to, and walked into the garden. God created this world to be a place where we would live and where we would meet with him. Where he would approach us. Man doesn't leave the garden to go to heaven to meet with God. God leaves heaven and comes to the garden to meet with man. And that's, that's, that's a theme that you're going to find throughout the scriptural account. Everything that is spoken of in relationship to God and the world He has created, God is always approaching His world. Amen. He is always coming to this world. And so Eden is lodged into our heads as the world, as representative of the world that God had created. He created a world that was good. He spoke it into existence. And then his voice declared that this creation was indeed good. And God approaches man in it. The scriptures tell us of a world that was created to be our dwelling and to be our place of meeting with God and that that world was good. The scriptures tell us also what it is. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we find the temptation and fall of man. And we find in the context of this world, in the context of this habitat that God intended for man, that man falls, that man distrusts God in relationship to the world that he's created. The serpent tells Eve God's not telling you the whole picture here. You can't, can't really trust him. He's, he's holding out on you. There's, there's something of life that he doesn't want you to know about. And Eve begins to mistrust, trusting the word of a serpent rather than the word of her maker. Trusting the word of the creature rather than the creator. And she begins then to distrust. No longer is, is her trust single-mindedly focused upon God, her maker and creator. And she takes of the fruit she gives to her husband, Adam, and together they fall into the depths and darkness of sin. And the scriptures declare to us that what this world is now is a fallen world. A world in which there is Subjectivity to pain and suffering and death. In fact, in God's judgment to those he had created, he judges also the serpent and he declares even a judgment upon the earth. That never happens. Sorry about that. Um, do what? I thought we just installed chimes. <sighs> they are nice, beautiful church bells. <laughs> um, so the scriptures declare to us that this world is a fallen world and, and in God's judgment upon Adam and Eve and the serpent he judges also the world he says that, that, that this, this environment this habitat of man's dwelling that it will be a thorn in man's flesh, that thorns and thistles shall, shall spring up, and by the sweat of man's brow he will now work. Notice, work is not a punishment of God. Unsuccessful work 
as a result of the fall. But but work was was uh, was given to man prior to the fall. So none of us should begrudge the fact that we have things to do, things to accomplish. We should find, in fact, joy in that, that we can do something with our hands, our minds, our bodies. But this world is nevertheless fallen. We're subject to pain and suffering and death. The scriptures declare to us, uh, Paul, uh, in speaking to the Romans, tells us that, that this world, the created order, the rocks and trees, the skies and seas, that all of this world cries out longing for the restoration, longing for what is to come, longing for what is to be in its final redemption. But even still, this world, fallen though it is, subjected to pain and suffering and death though it be, this world is still yet intended to be man's habitat. He leaves us here. Man's habitat where God still yet approaches man. That is the story of Christmas. The story of the incarnation is that God has not left this creation to defeat. But he has entered into it. Again, God steps into the garden but yet it's not a garden we call Eden. It's a town called Bethlehem. He steps into a stable and is wrapped and laid in a manger. God is always approaching His world because He loves it. He is always approaching His world because it's His world. He has made it. He has spoken it into existence. He has declared that it is good. And he has entered it to redeem it. The scriptures tell us not just of what the world was, not just of what it is, but it tells us also of what it is to be. When you look to the last pages of Scripture in Revelation chapter 21 and then on into chapter 22, you read of a new heaven and a new earth. And John the Apostle says that he saw that new heaven and he saw that new earth. And he says the old things have passed away and behold all things have become new. Notice that at the end of time, when we step into eternity, our intention is not, uh, what God intends for us is not that we would spend eternity in heaven with Him, but that He will create a new heaven and a new earth. And that we will dwell on that earth. And John tells us that he saw a new city called New Jerusalem that descended down from heaven and came to earth. And in that city, God made His habitation with man. Again, God approaching the world He has created. Now don't ask me, is that new heaven and new earth completely and utterly new? Does God annihilate this earth? Does He wipe away the heaven where He now dwells and create something completely and utterly new from scratch? Because I don't know. Perhaps He restores this world. Not to its former glory, but to the glory of that, that he can 
give to it in making all things new. The scriptures are pretty unclear as to if this new heaven and new earth are completely and utterly new, made from scratch, made from nothing yet again, or if it is God restoring this world, restoring this creation. So that we don't know. But what we do know of what is to be is that creation is again to be man's habitat where God approaches man. Where the new Jerusalem descends down from the new heaven and rests upon the new creation and where God dwells with man. The scriptures tell us that he shall be our God and we shall be his people. So the church stands between two worlds, as it were. We stand between the world that was and we stand between the world that is to come. And in standing between these two worlds, our calling is to hold those two worlds together in Christ. To live life here and now as it's been given to us. Looking forward to that life that is to come. Not escaping this world. Not, not running away from it. But embracing it knowing that God is able to make all things new. And that life has been given to us as a gift. That the world around us has been spoken into existence. And that we ourselves have been crafted by God's very hands. And he has breathed into us his very life. That's where the church stands. We stand in the gap of these two worlds. And we're called not to ignore this world for the sake of the other. We're called to live in this world for the sake of the other. Because it is only in our living here, it is only in our being here as the people of God that the world has the opportunity of being redeemed. That's a hefty burden to bear. The redemption of your neighbors your co-workers, your friends and relatives rests upon God working through you. And I'm not excused from that burden. That is the burden we all bear. The burden of living in this world. The burden of Serving as vessels through which God can redeem the world he has created. And the work of redemption is not just, not just set apart for the souls of man, but as the scriptures declare to us, God is in the work of redeeming all of creation. This is still our Father's world. This is still the world that God spoke into existence that he lovingly cares for 
in the world in which he meets with us. Considering that, I wonder if you would do a few things. If you would take the back of your, um, take your communication card and turn to the back of it. There are three responses there. A couple of them are really, really easy. Um, one you can do right now. I wonder if you would say, you know what? This is the world God's created. This is my Father's world, and I'm going to thank Him for it. I'm going to thank Him for the world that He's created. I'm going to thank Him for the life He's given me, for the place that He's placed me. I'm going to thank Him for this world. And I'm going to be reminded in everything beautiful I see in this world that He has made all things that are beautiful. He has made all things that are lovely. I wonder if you would simply say, I'm going to... Thank God for the world that he's created. I wonder if you would also say, you know what? Perhaps I don't spend very much time outdoors. I'm going to spend a little bit this week. Perhaps I spend a little bit of time outdoors and I'm going to make sure that while I'm out there, I'm taking in the fact that God's made this world, that this is his. I think it would do us all a bit of good to recognize the beauty around us, to recognize the small things that God's done, the, uh, the um, uniquenesses of flowers, and animals. Uh, I want to encourage you to spend a little bit of time outside this week in the world that God's created. See, we built our homes. We built our streets and roads and bridges. God built those things with which those have been made. And then lastly, I wonder if you would consider doing something to make the world a bit more beautiful and a bit more fruitful, whether it's um, participating in the Adopt-A-Mile program that we have here at the, the church. We had our last cleanup just a couple of weeks ago, um, or a couple of Saturdays ago. Perhaps you want to Sign up for the, uh, for the one that's uh, to, to come here in another three months. Perhaps you want to um, do, uh, do something else in your own uh, neighborhood or environment to, um, to make the world around you a bit more beautiful. If you, ha if you want tips on how to make a, a beautiful lawn, talk to Bill. We'll put him, uh, put him on the spot there. He, he keeps a, a beautiful lawn and is always working out uh, in the yard to, to make this world that God's entrusted to us a place of even greater beauty. And in doing these things, be mindful of the fact there are other people around you who, um, who've been made in God's image. Many of whom don't even know it. Many of whom don't even recognize it. And it is quite possibly in caring about things like trash that's thrown out on the side of the road 
that we make connections with people and begin to open up our lives in Christ to them. I want to encourage you this morning and this week to recognize that there is but one world that God has created and that is the world that he has entered and that is the world that he longs to redeem. We don't live in two separate worlds. We live in one universe and it's been created by our God. Let's pray.